0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you in every sunrise.
1: There is a level of intimacy, and some of you who have been through some real difficult things, and maybe presently are going through some difficult things, can testify to this. There is a deeper level of intimacy that comes through suffering. There's something that happens where we just become more fully dependent on Him, if you allow it. Now, some people can can get angry at God through their suffering, and some people will draw closer to God through their suffering. It, It really depends on how you react and respond to it. This
0: is Cornerstone Connection, The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philippians. Today, Pastor Gary discusses the deeper intimacy you can find with the Lord in whatever hardships you're currently suffering through. When faced with adversity, there is a myriad of emotions people go through. You can choose to deal with your troubles through sadness, anger, disgust, complacency, resilience, and many other forms. But have you ever wondered what God could offer you if you chose to turn to Him instead? This is what Pastor Gary would like you to consider today. Sometimes when you go through a terrible experience with someone, it can lead to a bond deeper and more intimate than you've ever imagined. God wants to offer that to you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the Book of Romans, chapter 3, for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. and find connection, towards your new life. For
1: God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him in Christ we might become the righteousness of God so god says all right since there is no one righteous no not one romans 323 all have fallen short of the glory of god then i will implement a plan whereby my righteous son will assume the penalty of our sin and i will exchange his righteousness for your sinfulness, and if you accept that by faith, you can be made right before God. That's it. If you accept that by faith, you can be made right before God. And what a relief that is, isn't it? No more striving, no more having to prove yourself to God or anyone else. You can just rest in the finished work of Christ, and you can receive his righteousness for your sinfulness. It's the story of the great exchange. And this is what God has done for us. So so Paul realizes this. He said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Everything looks good until it has a comparative standard. You know, white little woolly sheep against the hilly landscape, they look beautiful until it snows. And then you have the white snow, and then you realize just how dirty and ugly and matted those sheep are. But until you have the, the backdrop, you don't really realize just how dirty they look. But Paul says, when Jesus came into my life as the backdrop, I began to realize just everything I thought was so great about me is really not great at all. And it's his righteousness that is surpassing. And he says, so I, I consider everything... Again, profit and loss, and then the surpassing greatness or value, some of your Bibles say, so it's, it's like, it is like this accountant ledger. He said, he said, but he said, I consider them, all this stuff about my life, all the pedigree, everything, he said, I consider it rubbish, I consider it dung. He said, you know, I just, all my own righteousness was about do, 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 this, do this, do this, and enough of the do-do. It's all dung. He says, I, I consider it all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. And and then he adds there in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So what I did was I just lumped, for you note-takers, I lumped together between verses 8 and 10, and then there's an add-on to verse 14, just all the different things That Paul says in this passage here about just how consumed he is with Christ. I just want I I just want my life to be swallowed up in Jesus I don't I don't want there to be anything about myself that that deceives myself into thinking that I'm good enough and I'm great enough and I'm Perfect enough. It's all about Christ. He says it's about knowing Christ about gaining Christ. It's about being found in Christ it's about having a righteousness in Christ. It's about experiencing the power of Christ. It's about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It's about becoming like Christ so that, he's going to say a little further in verse 14, so that it might be about obtaining the prize of Christ. He said it's all about, it's all about Jesus. And he packs all of that into those few short verses. Now, the one standout, I don't know if you caught it, when you look at all this, you're like, yes, knowing Christ, yes, gaining, yes, being found, yes, having a ra- oh, experiencing the power, oh, yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute, sharing in the sufferings. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ? Why would Paul say that? I mean, I, I like the gaining Christ and righteousness and experiencing the power, I like the power, I like that one, I don't like the suffering one. Why would he say that? Here's the reason why he says it. There's something that happens in our suffering that creates for us a deeper intimacy with Christ that cannot be experienced apart from suffering. If if there were a way, then I'd be the first one to want that other way. But there is just a reality to the fact that there is a level of intimacy, and some of you who have been through some real difficult things, and maybe presently are going through some difficult things, can testify to this. There's a deeper level of intimacy that comes through suffering. There's something that happens where we just become more fully dependent on him, if you allow it. Now, some people can, can get angry at God through their suffering, and some people will draw closer to God through their suffering. It, it really depends on how you react and respond to it. But Paul understands that in reacting in a healthy way to suffering brings me to a deeper and more intimate, closer walk with Christ. And he's bold enough and courageous enough and mature enough to say that I don't mind when suffering comes into my life because I know it brings me to a deeper level with Christ. Now that does take a maturity. And I'm not sure I'd I'd be somebody writing that, but Paul has experienced it and he can write this and some of you know exactly what he's talking about. Because I've heard countless people say, in effect, these words. I would not wish my suffering on anyone else and I would not want to repeat it if I had the option, but I'm thankful for what I've learned through it. Because God has revealed himself to me on a deeper level than I understood about him prior to my suffering. And life is full of them. Life is going to be full of different kinds of suffering, different levels of suffering. Some, some types of suffering will come and go. Some types of suffering will be over extended periods of time. Some suffering is emotional. Some of it is physical. It comes in various forms. It, it comes sometimes through grief. It comes through various various different angles look don't think that that god is is the one who just you know delights in our suffering um, because this world is filled with suffering and it has nothing to do sometimes okay it has nothing to do with god's punishing me or god doesn't like me god's angry with me And, and i know a lot of people interpret that that way and that's not a healthy way to interpret we are we are constantly going to be affected by trials and tribulations in this world. Jesus even said in this world you will have trouble. It just It's part of living in a fallen sin-filled world where even good godly people who love Jesus will be affected by it because we live in, in this world. And it's a part of this world, and this world is not heaven. And one day when we get to heaven, we won't have to deal with the suffering and the pain of the tribulation. But until such time, There is going to be plenty to go around, and it will be how we respond to it as to whether or not we get angry with God or we draw near to God. And through our suffering, Paul says, I can know him more intimately, and I can know him on a deeper level. But then he also adds for us, and remember this in Romans 8.18, Paul says, I do not consider, however, the present sufferings of this world worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. So we must keep that perspective, too. As Paul says, I know my share of suffering, but it is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. I know that one day I'm going to be with the Lord, and all of this suffering and all the pain and all the sorrow is going to go away. And so until such time, we have to persevere. Now, that's actually where he's going in this next section of chapter 3. So read with me. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he's starting here to write. now. He's going to move from an analogy of being an accountant with a ledger and a profit loss statement. And he's going to move now to use an analogy of like the Olympic Games and particularly someone who's running track and field. And he talks here about I got to press on, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Please note that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's very intentional about reminding us God is very much involved in this race that we're on, this journey, because he says something similar back in chapter two, in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We talked about that last week. God is at work. He's working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Further back in chapter one, in verse six, He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he says this in different ways over and over again. He says, look, this journey, this race that you're on, you're you're not running the race alone because it is Christ who's helping you. He's going to take hold of you. He's going to help you to finish well. Back here, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Okay, here's this imagery here of running a race and you're pressing on and you're coming to the finish line. You're gonna, you're gonna break the tape across the finish line. He's like, I'm straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's using this, this allegory here of like running a race. Listen, running the race is very important to understand as a Christian. This is not this is not a quick sprint. This is a marathon. We're running a race. But he says, I'm, I'm pressing on. And, and one of the first things he says here, and this is very important to understand, the one of the greatest things that will hinder your race is dwelling on the past. And he says, forgetting the past. Forgetting the past. And some of you need to hear this. Stop dwelling on the past stop rehearsing the past stop beating yourself up over the past because as far as God is concerned in Christ that past is forgotten to him so you should start to forget it too I know humanly speaking we can't forget it and it doesn't mean that God is absent-minded it means he no longer he chooses to no longer hold it against you he forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west So I know we we have a memory, we can and and things can come back up and haunt us. But whenever they do, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we remind our own flesh sometimes that rises up with shame and condemnation, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That if any man be in Christ or any woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, all things are new, and the old is gone." And we need to stop living in the past, and we need to stop rehearsing the past. And by the way, as it relates to other people, we need to stop reminding them of their past. Okay? If they've received forgiveness as much as you have, stop reminding them of things in their past that they're not proud of either. We need to be free from the past so that we are unhindered in running this race. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. You know, I've always thought to myself... You know, in, in terms of sin, I, I only want to remember enough to not keep repeating it. But otherwise, don't let yourself be haunted by it. Don't rehearse it. Don't live in condemnation and shame. This is what Jesus died for. He took on himself the punishment, the shame, all of the guilt, everything associated with our sin. So run this race with perseverance, unhindered by the past, forgetting What is behind straining toward what is ahead pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Look, this is ultimately about heaven. Paul would write in one of his last letters, actually it is his last recorded epistle we have out of 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. He knows this, this is like running a race and we have to persevere and we have to forget the former things. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. God says, see, I am doing a new thing. So church, run the race with perseverance. Forgetting the past, straining toward what is awaiting us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he's going to talk still more about heaven in the context of the remaining verses. Keep reading verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. I like that. (laughs) way Paul says, he's like, you know, if you don't get this, God will help you understand it. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained, right? You're accountable for as much as you know. So live up to at least what you know, and God will help fill in the gaps. He says in verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. By the way, whenever I read, and this isn't the first time Paul says, follow my example, follow my example. I think to myself, you know, are, are we willing to be able to say that to people? Are, are we so, so pleased with the way that we're living before the Lord that we could say to other people, go ahead, take a look at my life, follow my examples, I follow Christ. Because this, this is what he's saying here. He says in uh, verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ." Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. So what, is, what does all that mean, what, their God is their stomach? Are, these, are they overeaters? Are they, you know, look, here's, here's the context. He's still talking about the Judaizers. The Judaizers are about feasts, festivals, rites of purification, and the dietary aspect of the law. So he's like, you know, some of these people have just made these dietary things their God. Their destiny is destruction. He's just rebuking again these false teachers. And then he says here in verse 20, again, he's bringing it back to heaven. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, I know I finished the chapter, but I got some stuff to say about that last verse because that's a lot that he says right there. So let's take a look. Our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2.11, we're like aliens and strangers. We, we're, we're not to get too comfortable here, friends. This is not where, where we ultimately are going to be living. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our ultimate reward. When you know Christ is your Savior, we eagerly await the Savior. Jesus is coming again. And so he's drawing that attention to us like we await Jesus. He's going to come again, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, this last part, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Take a look at this verse again. He says here in Philippians 3.21 that the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Very similarly, he says in 1 Corinthians 15.49, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, that's Adam, because we all have descended from Adam, our earthly father, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, meaning we're going to be just like Jesus, And then John adds in his epistle, 1 John 3, 2, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, what does this mean exactly? So I'm going to just take you through some quick bullet points here about what this means as far as our bodies will become, will be like Jesus' glorified body. And the first one is, in, in Luke 24, verse 39, a reminder to us that the the glorified body that we get is going to be a physical body of flesh and bone, but not a ghost. Okay. When Jesus rose from the dead in Luke 24, 39, it talks about how he still had a body of flesh and bones. It was a glorified physical body, but it was not this phantom thing and it wasn't a ghost. So when you die, you're going to eventually get a glorified body when you know Christ is your savior. And It's going to be very similar to your body now, only they will have certain traits that defy some of the laws of gravity and matter that we are presently restricted by. Which brings me to the second bullet point. Our glorified bodies will be able to travel unrestricted by space space or matter in john chapter 20 verse 19 and verse 26 it talks about how jesus in his resurrected form suddenly came and stood among his disciples even though the doors were locked how is that because he just passed through walls he passed through doors his glorified body was not restricted by time space or matter and our bodies are going to be like his so you're going to be able to be transported here and there and move from here to there and not be restricted by anything it's just going to be a wonderful, it's, it's almost unimaginable, but you know, try to imagine. It's, it's a little sci-fi, but it's going to be actual, real, not sci-fi. One other good thing about our glorified bodies is that we will be unable to get sick or perish. In First Corinthians 15, Paul writes, so, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable. Okay, when our physical bodies die and go in the ground, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And Revelation 21.4 reminds us that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And finally, a good bullet point to remember, especially for those of you with loved ones in heaven, is our bodies will be recognizable to others. Because Jesus was recognizable. In John 20, he appeared to his disciples. In John 21, he appeared to them again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so our glorified bodies will be recognizable. Remember when Peter and John joined Jesus in the Mount of transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured before them and appearing with Jesus was Moses and Elijah. And Peter recognized them as Moses and Elijah. Those guys have been dead for hundreds of years, but by their spirit, they appeared with Jesus and Peter recognized them even though he had never met them. Why? Because there's going to be an understanding of who people are. We're going to recognize one another. Now, then all these questions ensue with all of this, which is, well, how old will our bodies be? I mean, if you die when you're 80 and wrinkled, will you still look 80 and wrinkled when you're in heaven? Well, nobody really knows. Ancient rabbis believed that the general age, the average age, little tiny babies and Older people will all be, we will have some kind of a universal age. We don't know this for sure, but the universal age may be, in fact, 30. There's a lot in the Bible that talks about the age of 30. 30 was the age when Jesus' ministry began. 30 is the age when priests were able to first serve. 30 was the age when men were first allowed to read the book of Song of Solomon. The age of 30 seems to be a very universal age. So perhaps we'll all be 30, which is great news if you're over 30. Not so great if you're under 30. But however it shakes out, the wonderful promise for us is that when you know Christ as your Savior, you get to go to heaven when you die. And all of the suffering of this present age is not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that hope, church. For Christians, this world is as bad as it gets. For non-Christians, this world is as good as it gets. We hold on to an everlasting hope because of what Christ did for us on the cross.
0: Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that the mantra of your heart? Are you relying on Christ to be your strength when you can't carry on? The Apostle Paul knew that the only way to get through the inevitable trials of life was to lean on Jesus, and he encourages you to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in to study the book of Philippians with us here on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share next time. But for now, we'd like to know more about you. Would you give us a call? And let us know how you discovered Cornerstone Connection or what it's meant to you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd like to be praying for you as well, so please let us know how we can do that. The number again, 703-771-1500. Would you do something for us too? Would you pray for your fellow listeners to Cornerstone Connection? We know that the gospel message is powerful and can change lives, but we also are aware of the enemy's attempts to stop it from reaching the hurting. Please pray that the truth is received with each broadcast and that the hearts of others would be open. Thanks for praying and thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection.